Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. For the first podcast of this year, we're welcoming back Olive's brilliant columnist, Gerd Loyal. If you read Gerd's column, you'll realise he wears many hats, including consulting on food, drink and hospitality trends. And this is the area we're going to be talking about today as we explore what we'll be eating and drinking in 2023. Welcome, Gerd, and Happy New Year to you. Happy 2023. <laughs> Can't believe we're here. We're actually saying the date. It's exciting, <laughs> isn't it? It's very exciting. Um so I know we've got a lot to talk about today, but you were going to start by giving us the big picture and what the overarching themes you think are yeah. for this year. Yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting about with, with trends is that they're sort of, they kind of go in waves and they come and go. But then there are certain things that get to the point where they're almost bigger than trends. And I almost think of them as sort of being like societal shifts. And I just wanted to sort of touch on that before we go into it, because there are three sort of quite big things that I think we're not necessarily going to talk about them as trends, because I think they've they've almost transcended trends. They've become almost like the fabric yeah. of what are the kind of the, the big major themes really in food and drink right now. So the first one is obviously the sort of cost of living crisis and penny pinching and sort of this sort of move towards frugality, which, you know, everyone is feeling. Yeah. And it's very much kind of the undercurrent of a lot of what's going to be happening in 2023 from a food perspective. Um, the next one we talked a bit, quite a bit about when we had this conversation this time last year, mm -hmm. which is around sustainable diets and climate callouts. And I know last year we were talking a lot about uh, regenerative agriculture yeah. and... Uh, there's now a sort of reganuary thing going yeah. on. So people really sort of um, talking a lot about, about that a lot more and it's really gathering pace. And then health. I mean, everything in terms of health, from immunity mm. to functional foods to um, foods that will sort of claim to make you look 30 years younger, yeah. which I could do with right now. For me, those three things, so the cost of living, the sustainable diet side of things, and then the health things, they are sort of the undercurrents to all of the trends we're going to talk about. So yeah. we're not necessarily going to talk about them too explicitly, but you can assume that they're there present they're there. in everything. Cool. So January is the, traditionally the time it we is. all have a bit yep. of a healthy rebrand yep. of ourselves. Yep. So let's start with that one. What are we talking about around that? Yes. So the first one is all about sort of forgetting the old mantra of five a day and now thinking about 30 a week. So this comes from the very brilliant sort of food scientist and writer Tim Spector, who has a new book out called Food for Life, which has really grabbed a lot of people's attention. Mm. So his name might be familiar because he is a person that conducted the Zoe study over the last couple of years, which is where lots of people, in particular twins, were volunteering to see what happened to their gut and their microbiome when they were eating lots of things. And in his study, he had people very famously eating these quite strange mm -hmm. blue muffins to see 
how they went through their system, which is, you know, <laughs> something that everyone now is very comfortable talking about. But what this book does is it really sort of is the sort of the synthesis of yeah. all of his findings. And it's a really interesting read. And the key message that's come out of it is that to have a healthy gut and to mm. have a microbiome that's, you know, that is sort of really efficient and is sort of really um, working for your own body on a personal perspective it's all about the diversity of things that you mm. eat. So whereas in the past we would have said, you know, have five a day, if you're having the same five a day, you're not actually doing your gut yeah. that much good because you're not exposing it to, to lots of different things. So it's all about thinking about having 30 different fruits, vegetables, but you can also add in seeds, nuts, herbs and spices. So it's actually 30 different plants yeah. a week is what you need to be thinking yeah. about. Um that can also, he really encourages you to include fermented foods, things like kimchi, kombucha, even good chocolate. Yeah. Tim Spector is very supportive well, of. F- chocolate is fermented. Chocolate is know. fermented. Yeah. Bread is as, fermented. As Wine is, and because I know he's a big, I actually read this, I read most of this book because I, I listened to a podcast with him on it and um, I just find it fascinating. And I love the idea that I, st- I started doing it. I started thinking yeah. about the way I ate in a different way, as in like really simple things, like if I was making um like um, scrambled egg on toast for breakfast in the morning, I would think, what can I add yeah, to this? I can absolutely. add like chopped tomato. I can add spring onion. I can add this little ducker spice mix that I've got. And and thinking of like my microbiome, yes. like, it going, oh, I've got eggs, but then I've got this and then I've got yeah. this and then I've got this. And every little part of it Completely. has got something new to work on and makes your whole Completely. gut work a bit more efficiently. Yeah. And if people think of it like that and you think, you know, spices count, seeds count, yeah. coffee counts. Yeah. It's a great way of thinking about eating, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, there were, a few years ago, there were those big trends for things sort mm. of like rainbow bowls and things like that. Yeah. And often it was considered just sort of for the Instagram shot, which yeah. were, you know, great Instagram shots. But actually, they're really great in terms of the diversity of plants that you're getting. Yeah. So that whole ethos of 30 a week is something that people should really be thinking about. But actually, what's interesting about it is that it's not that prescriptive. It's sort of leaving it open to whatever... 30 things you might yeah. enjoy in different diets and actually exploring yeah. different cultures. And it, it, I think I, I really like this as a kind of health mantra because it feels it feels achievable, but actually it also feels like something to aim for. Yeah. So I love the next one, things on toast. Yes. And we're not talking avocado for No, once. we're not. Forget <laughs> avocado toast. So, I mean, I love this one and it's one that often yeah. tends to sort of return in times of uncertainty. And it's, I'm calling it really posh things right. on toast nice. because <laughs> that's basically what it is. And there's, there's been a, quite a few sort of interesting restaurants and books that have sort of driven this trend. Um, but I think it's, again, it's just something that is really easily achievable mm. to do at home. And also can, you know, be a really effective way of using kind of leftovers and things but turning them into something delicious so there's someone quite iconic that's sort of driving this trend in a way and that is Prue Leith her new book was called Bliss on Toast but she had all sorts of things so she had things like bubble and squeak with hollandaise on fried bread she had smoked salmon wasabi and avocado on granary so really interesting sort of gourmet flavours but on toast but taking it to that next extreme from a kind of restaurant perspective there's a really big trend for crab on toast at the moment there's a place called The Holland in Kensington whose crab on toast has become something of a sort of insta sensation what's what's on that is it is it just crab with I don't know what's (laughs) actually all I know is that the pictures of it look incredibly (laughs) delicious and I don't actually know the details of what's in it another one is there's there's a a restaurant that lots of people are now excited about called the Barley Mo which has a crab rare no that's Sounds good to me. Any rabbit. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> of that. And then there's a there's a white crab with chili mm. on toast um, at a restaurant called Lally. Gorgeous. Another one that's a little bit more on the sort of gourmet side of things, even further along, is snails on toast. 
list. Okay. So Maison Francois is sort of a very famous restaurant that is sort of a sort of specialized in, in, in French food. And they do snails with lardons on toasted flatbread with bone oh, wow. marrow. And then in terms of rabbit, which we were talking about earlier, St. John, which is a sort of pining restaurant that's, you know, is an institution really. They've opened a new restaurant in Marleybone that has become very famous for its deep fried rabbit. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Posh things on toast. I'm I was going to mention something that wasn't posh on toast because I know that I've seen this trend and it actually started, I think, at St. John, which was mince on toast. Yeah. And then Quality Chop House do it. Yeah. And we have a recipe online because it was in the December issue from the Pelican, um, okay, which yeah. is a which is an aged beef mince on toast as well. My grandma used to make mince on toast, and now they're flogging it for like no, I, <laughs> fifteen quid a plate. <laughs> it's, well, it's like a nostalgic wartime favorite, love, isn't I it? I loved it when I was little. Yeah. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, keema on naan is my Indian equivalent. Yeah, of course, <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's just an absolute. I think there's something really comforting about those minced meat based yeah. dishes. Yeah, for sure. They're sort of. They almost have a kind, they have that kind of, the, the comfort of home. Yeah. But yeah. Me and Lulu used to have this book that we talked about and it was called Marvellous Meals with Mints um, from the 70s. But we were like, it deserves a revival because mints. it's you such know, a good Mints thing. on toast. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We're adding that one in. Totally. Okay. Like moving on. Um, something that went crazy during lockdown yes. was meal kits. And now they're evolving even further, aren't they? They are. So I think, you know, meal kits, I think, are very much here to stay. And especially with, you know, if people aren't able to afford to go out to restaurants. But also people are are, are wanting to educate themselves. And meal kits is is a really interesting way of getting that culinary education. If you're really interested in, you know, upping your skills or learning Mm. about new cuisines... The next one is meal kits that have gone extra gourmet but have this kind of edible education angle to them. Okay. The first one I'm to talk about is a really exciting one called Oma Kitchen. This is sort of offering a new kind of immersive way of exploring world cuisines. And actually, their, their kits at the moment, they have a Korean, a Malaysian, a Mexican and a North Indian. But what I love about these kits is they sort of have three distinct elements to them. So there's this sort of inspiration element. Yeah. Where they have this really beautifully produced magazine that has like essays and recipes, incredible photography, but it really goes into the cultural context of the cuisines that they're exploring. So it has like loads about the history, loads about the culture, loads about actually the cultural practices of food in those cultures, which is, you know, increasingly people are much more interested in that cultural heritage behind the cuisines. And I love that. All of their sort of meal kits also then have a selection of hand-picked ingredients. Um, I tried out their Malaysian kit, which had some of the most delicious tamarind paste I've ever had. I've had a lot of tamarind paste. And it was a really good one. And then they have these online learning courses. So Mm. you sort of go in through these sort of members area, there's video tutorials from sort of top chefs from those cultures. And they're really giving you the fundamentals, but lots of kind of information about how to use all of the ingredients and then to make these really delicious dishes. So it's meal kits, but with an educational like gourmet. Like a cookery school. Like a element. cookery school, yeah. exactly. So you're really learning everything about it. You're really, it. really yeah. learning. The next couple ones that are sort of also in this area, there's Dish Patch, which is sort of much more of a sort of restaurant meal delivery yeah. sort of kit service. But they've really upped their kind of gourmet credibility. So they've got people like Andy Oliver, um, Ishta Belfrage, and restaurants like St. John, and even Roti King, which is one of my favorite Malaysian restaurants. Yeah. So you can do a dish patch roti king meal delivery, which is pretty cool. I know because I still haven't made it there to my shame, but um, that <gasps> oh, sounds incredible. So good. <laughs> it's so good. That has to be on your tw- things to do in 2015. Yeah. In fact, in January. Okay, me and you can go. We can go. Yeah. I mean, forget 30 a day. We're going to roti king. That's essential. Um, 
and then but there are other things which are you know really sort of gathering pace. So yeah. Ravneet Guild is this incredible online cookery school called Damson Academy. There are things like Masterclass and Yes Chef, which are going from strength to strength. And then people like Lily Vanilli, who's you know really famous for producing yeah. some of the most exquisitely iced cakes. She's now going into these sort of online cake decorating, sort of online videos and tutorials. So it's sort of taking the meal kit idea, but yeah. saying. It's meal kits, but with an intention of upskilling you, which yeah. I just love. I love that idea as well. And that home, it, it's really meaning that you don't have to, you know, I mean, we want to leave our homes, but like, it's nice that you can like be at home and be immersed in it yeah. and get all of that online learning totally. as well and not have to leave the house. And I think we also <laughs> want new things to show off about yeah. on Instagram that we yeah. can do now. So yeah. if it's like... We can do it in our pajamas. <laughs> exactly, we can do it in our pajamas. Why not? Exactly. And next, we're going to talk about um, a fast food guilty pleasure, yes. which is getting a bit of a restaurant makeover. It really is. So we've talked a bit about the fact that, you know, in times of trouble, you return to nostalgic yeah. classics. And this really is a nostalgic classic. And it is gourmet nuggets and dips. <laughs> Sorry, I said chicken nuggets, but it's not just chicken nuggets. Any gourmet nuggets, nuggets yeah, and dips. Love, so love there are all sorts of places doing this. So yeah. a few that I love. There is um, the Suffolk restaurant in Albra mm. is doing... Cod cheek nuggets with a curried tartar. Oh, that sounds delicious. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Darby's in London is doing crispy pork nuggets with mustard and pickles. There's Bun House in Camden, which is doing sticky salt lime chicken nuggets, wow. which sounds delicious. Meat Liquor, which is a you know the interesting burger chain in London, is actually partnering with Impossible. So they're doing a vegan take with Impossible nuggets, but they're paired with an Ardberg whiskey sauce. Oh, wow. Um, and then a couple others that I love. Um, the Standard Restaurant in London is doing fried chicken bites with truffle aioli, which sounds delicious. Um, and we've talked a lot, actually, about Melissa <clears throat> Thompson's book, but actually she does these oxtail nuggets, which are just completely delicious. But I love that. I love the fact that it's something that's just so well-known. You know, Why do you think people are so obsessed with nuggets? I think there's a couple of things. It's what I think it, it's bite-sized food yeah. that is generally deep fried. Yeah. But I think that people now really love food that can become a vehicle for carrying loads of flavour. Yeah, that's true. It is just a little. And that's what nuggets do. They almost become these like little deep fried flavour bombs in themselves. Yeah. And also the fact that I think, you know, I mean, some of these things are just so interesting, you know, having like yeah. a, an Arberg whiskey sauce or having like sort of this idea of, you know, using cod cheek for the nuggets. I think... It's a way, it's almost quite a frugal way of using sort of yeah, odds and it's, ends. because the inside isn't, you know, if you're using things like oxtail or, you know, pork, it, it's not like your, pre, like your prime cuts, is it? No. And also, as you said, like it's flavour, but then the texture as well. You've got that Completely. kind of hot, cold, yeah. crunchy, sweet, sour sweet, kind sour. of thing. I love yeah. it. Fantastic. Because, I, I mean, you know, it used to be if you've got something left over, turn it into bubble and squeak. But... Yeah. Turn it into nuggets. Deep fry it. Deep fry it and turn it into nuggets and make a really powerful dip to go with it. Yeah, I love it. And next, one of my favourite things in the entire world, pies. Yes. Who doesn't love a pie? It is. I mean, there's a lot. Interesting, we've talked a bit about health, but also we've talked a lot about indulgence and, yeah. you know, pure pleasure pies. I think I think January's got to be a mix of, yes. you know, of both of those yeah, things totally. just to get us through it. Well, it's about the balance, isn't it? Yeah. It's about having sort of... A reset for the year, but a reset doesn't mean denial. It's no. about kind of what are my intentions yeah, for the exactly. the delicious things I'm going to eat yeah. this year as well. So, I mean, pies have gone super sort of decadent. There's a restaurant called The Mount, which has a lobster pie, which is sort of basically it's a stargazy pie where, you know, oh, traditionally yeah. you would have the prawns and sort of lots of seafood inside with yeah. the prawns sticking their heads out. This has an entire lobster sticking out. I think I've seen a picture of that. It's pretty impressive. It's pr- I'm, 
I mean, it's, <laughs> it's impressive face. and terrifying at the Lobster's same time. Lobster's another one of my favourite things, yeah. but I, I like yeah. it with some butter and some yeah. nice bread, you know, like it just... Not leave, some lardy pastry leave, leave my lobster alone, exactly. man. <laughs> um, the other one, and again, this is the book we mm. talked about a lot last year, which was the oh, Jeremy, Jeremy Lee Lee's, book. Yeah. But his, you know, people are just still going wild for his pies. Crawfordus really... is... Fi- they've got pie of the day. I mean, not my kind of restaurant, again, pie of the day. Each yeah. day there's a different fantastic yeah. pie on the menu. And he talks a lot about the fact that, you know, he still serves pies in the height of summer. So yeah. it's a year-round thing. And yeah. then... There's a spiced venison pie at Giacconi, which just looks and is delicious, yeah, which lovely. is from uh, the chef Ravinder Bogle. And 2023 is also the year of my new book, yeah, which we will be talking about at some point. Um, but actually, one of my favourite recipes um, in the book, and actually one that seems yeah. to get a lot of attention from people that fit through it, is I do a masala brisket pie. Oh, God, I love the sound of that. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually one of my favourite recipes. So pure pleasure pies. So, But again, I think in the, in the same way that we were talking about kind of with nuggets, mm. I think it's those pies where... You, people are using every sort of the, the crusts are really interesting. The yeah. fillings are really interesting. There's a sort of a slightly frugal use, you know, using things like brisket, using things like kind of the odds and ends, but then also going the opposite extreme and saying, and well, just going really decadent let's with put it. a lobster in yeah. there. I mean, if you think about all of those old fashioned Henry VIII pies when yeah. he used to bake everything in a pie, yes. I mean, they four were and 20 cr- blackbirds. <laughs> 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 exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, they used to be like real show-stopping yeah. centerpieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe it's like a, a bit of that as One well. One person, so, I mean, this is slightly related, but do, have you ever seen Mrs. Crocombe on YouTube? No, but I'm, oh, I'm going to go you, and look I, now. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to talk about Mrs. Crocombe. She's based in Audley End House, okay. and she's there sort of Victorian dress-up cook who does these videos. Oh, okay. And she does lots of Victorian pies. Does she? Yeah. I really recommend. I mean, Mrs. Crocombe is a trend in herself. Is it, I'm is quite it like, obsessed with that. Are we talking like three day, three day? No, no, no. Food? A lot of them are quite interesting. Okay. She had this sort of interesting cherry pie, which looks delicious. Yeah. Um, but they are sort of the revival of those um, Victorian style pies. So go and check out Mrs. Crocombe. Go and check out Mrs. How Crocombe. Do you, with a K or with, with a, a C. With a she's C. pretty iconic as a character. Okay. She's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, think sort of. Yeah, it's giving me that look sort of, of like. <laughs> sort of Victorian version of the two fat ladies. Oh, right. In the end, yeah, I'm into it. I love it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and next, we're going to talk about some cuisines that don't always get as much of no. a spotlight. So yeah. Tell us about and that. actually, yes. So, I mean, with cuisines, I don't necessarily like to use the term trending. It's actually no. much more about the cuisines that are getting a lot of interest and a lot yeah. of really brilliant culinary creatives who are yeah, kind yeah. of really showcasing them. There are three that have really caught my eye. The first one is Pakistani cuisine. Yeah. So, you know, North Indian cuisine gets quite a lot of attention, but, you know, Pakistani cuisine in itself is now really sort of having this moment where people are really proudly celebrating their Pakistani heritage. Yeah. Um, one person is um, Numra Siddiqui, who I actually interviewed for the for the column in uh, December. She has this brilliant initiative called Empress Market, where she celebrates her Pakistani heritage with incredible things like her Pakistani beef bun, which is just wow. delicious. There's a brilliant Instagrammer called Zainab Pazadi, who's... Mm. Recipes online, they always go viral and they just look super delicious. She has like things like delicious slow cooked lamb, shank. She has like incredible biryanis. There's this very sort of heady approach to North Indian spicing. Okay. And Pakistani food takes it to this next level where okay. it's like what you might know about North Indian food, but <clears> taken to like an even more <laughs> flavor amplified food. And I just think it's totally delicious. And, you know, I love the fact that people of Pakistani heritage are now celebrating this. And then right. 
There are interesting things in London. There's something called Baba Dabba, which is a brilliant Pakistani sort of takeaway. And then there is something in Hawley Market in Camden called Cal Karachi, which does Pakistani toasties. Oh, oh really? Oh, that's near me. I'll have to yes. check that one out. Re- sure. Really, really tasty. The next one is Afghani food, which, again, is a really interesting cuisine that combines lots of different influences from that sort of mountainy Afghani region of okay. the world. There is a brilliant British Afghani fusion barbecue called Q Point, yeah, which just fantastic. has incredible sort of flavours. There is um, a restaurant in London called Two Lads Kitchen, who does incredible Afghani street food. And this trend has even made it all the way to Sydney, Australia, where there's this restaurant called Avasan, which is an Afghani restaurant that's really gone viral all over TikTok and Instagram. And the next one is West African cuisine. So we talked a bit about this last year because there was that incredible book, Africana, by Lerato B. Mishela. But there are restaurants now in London like Okoko. There's a restaurant called Chizari, which is about to get a brand new location. And then I suppose one of the first sort of West African inflected restaurants, which was called Ikoyi, which is now moving to a new location, it's really interesting. These are really progressive, sort of flavor-forward, proudly distinct yeah, cuisines. They're that, not trying to like dumb it down at all. Not you know, in it's, any it's way. It's just a real celebration of yeah. that, which is fabulous. And, and I love yeah. the fact that the sort of the diaspora of these sort of yeah. three places, so Pakistan, Afghanistan, and then West Africa, are just really proudly yeah. celebrating their cuisine. And great that they're having success. Yeah. And that you know people are going out to Completely. try. Yeah, fantastic. I love that. Now, I know some of us are in the depths of dry January. Yes. How's that going for you? <laughs> but we are we are going to talk about booze regardless um, for February. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, firstly, you're going to tell us about some lesser known wine regions. Yes. So wine is an interesting one because wine trends sort of come and go. and But wine has been around for yeah. thousands of years. So in many ways, nothing is ever really new in wine. No. It's just that you kind of rediscover it. What I love is that there are some lesser known regions of the Mediterranean that are having a sort of real moment and wine sort of buffs are getting really excited about them. The first one is actually the Balearic Islands. So Formentera and Tenerife in particular, they have really sort of unique volcanic sort of terroir and some really interesting unique grapes. I was actually at the Gastronomica Conference, which is in San Sebastian last year, and tried some incredible wines from Tenerife, which just have this... Really sort of zippy citrusiness. I was gonna to say, what is that the style really quite yeah? Quite citrusy, but because of the volcanic soils, they're also very sort of minerally and yeah. sort of salty and saline, which is not a style of wine that I'm that familiar with. And I got really, really into them. Another one which I'm actually gonna be talking about in the column at some point this year is Lebanese wine. Interesting. Now, what's really interesting about Lebanese wine is that there are some interesting makers. There's this maker called Ixer in particular, who are taking a sort of very French burgundy style approach to winemaking, where they're really looking at the microclimates of tiny plots within Lebanon and celebrating the taste of those microplots, which is a very sort of um sort of burgundy Bordeaux approach to wine, yeah. where you sort of say, well, actually, we're not just gonna look at the grapes in this area we're going to look at the grapes in this field wow <laughs> and it's really interesting that you've got you know the sort of winemakers like Ixa that are sort of doing that but with Lebanese yeah, sort of grapes which is incredible and then Greek wine is having a real moment across sort of a lot of menus particularly in London Cretan wines in particular yeah and then it's not Mediterranean but wines of the Jura region are having quite a moment in particular Van Jeune, which is yellow wine yeah I've had I actually had that at, um have you been to Le Manoir? 
I have not, but it's okay. very high on my list of places to go. <laughs> so it was, it was years ago, but they do this thing where you um, they, they bring out the Comte trolley with Amazing. a guy in a little dicky bow tie, and he just comes with his trolley. <laughs> and he comes with his um, his bottle of Van John and, yeah. and pours you it, and then you have the three different ages of Comte. <sighs> that sounds so good. After the end, of, it was, it was pretty good. We drank a lot of wine by the okay. time happened. <laughs> I, I don't remember it. I've got pictures of it, but yeah. It was, but found, like, I mean, yellow wines are really interesting because they're yeah. sort of slightly oxidised. They have yeah. a slightly sort of sherry-like quality It's definitely to them. A, a particular... It, yeah. it, it, it does go well with Comte. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be drinking it on its own. I think it's a, no, it's it's a, a food pairer. wine, isn't it's it? No, it's definitely yeah. a pairer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other one, which I'm not going to talk about too much, but boxed wine yes, is no longer wine. a sort of... Yeah. Dirty word. It's, it's just pretty trendy now. It's just dangerous though, Gersh. Well, I know. I don't I mean, this is the thing. I actually had some interesting box wines in my, and I was finding myself just having a little tipple every you now and then. If there. you haven't got a bottle, you can't see how yeah. much you're pouring out. So. But I think it's some of the winemakers that are now going straight to box wines. And if you That's go great. to, you know, interesting yeah. places like, you know, even Harrod Selfridges and Harvey Nichols, they yeah. have boxed wines now, which is, I think, really interesting. And what's great is it preserves it. So yeah. a really nice bottle of, you know, white, you open it, totally. you've got a couple of yeah. days on it, boxed wine. I think it, it's meant to last meant to last for six yeah. weeks. Yeah. So which and is it's really actually a cost-effective way. It's a really cost-effective yeah. way of doing yeah. it, yeah. On to the spirit world. Now, yeah. this is an interesting one. One of the big trends in the spirits world at the moment is ultrasonic spirits and cocktails. <laughs> and you, Have you had it? It's always a mad one. There was always going to be a wacky Last one. Last year it was crystal-infused yeah. crystal foods. And yeah. this year it's ultrasonic. Have you heard about this? No, I've not heard anything about so this. this is and this is grounded in some science. So what happens here is they use ultrasonic sound waves okay. to extract and infuse drinks with flavours or to really rapidly age them. And so what this does is it really intensifies and purifies the flavours that go into these spirits or cocktails. Yeah. So we're going to be seeing quite a lot more of this in the next year. So just a few interesting examples. Um, There's a brilliant gin company called Heppel Gin. Um, They do a... They do a gin, but they also do a martini and a Negroni. And they are really using this sort of ultrasonic infusion to partly extract this sort of pure essence of juniper, but then also to kind of rapidly almost age their bottled martinis. So you get this sort of aged martini that is intensely junipered with this ultrasonic technology. Pretty fascinating. Um, Another one is um, actually a a big brand, which is Johnny Walker Whiskey, who um, has an incredible pop-up up up in Edinburgh called um, Princess Street. And it's this sort of brilliant experiential sort of house in a way. It's all things Johnny Walker. And they're using ultrasonic uh, technology in their cocktails, which is quite exciting. And then there's also a lovely gin, which is from... Uh, a brand called Puddlestone Distillery, um, and they use ultrasonic waves to extract botanicals that goes into their ultrasonic. Do they, does gym. the ultrasonic waves just agitate the? I, mean, you... I think I don't quite know okay. what it does. I think what it does is it releases the sort of volatile, yes, the oils and things, or the, yeah. the oils and yeah, things yeah, which are yeah. sort of there, which are where yeah. the flavour effectively is. Yeah. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. I've yeah. not done it, but I'm really intrigued by this technology and. I'm, I think what's interesting is that often these things start in the spirit world and then extend into yeah. food. So ultrasonic foods, I don't think, is going to be too far. Wow. I mean, it sounds mad, but it's it's obviously 
rooted in science, yeah. this one. Yeah. Unlike, Unlike crystals, crystals last year. <laughs> which was just <laughs> mad. <laughs> um, and next, something you touched upon earlier, and that's always on the agenda, which is food waste. Yes, um, it is food waste. But again, as with what we were talking about earlier, it is actually about upcycling going okay, gourmet. Right. So no longer is sort of this idea of kind of food waste kind of tied to brands that are seen as being sort yeah. of, you know, a little bit left field. It's actually now getting really gourmet and really mm. kind of mainstream. Um, there was a really brilliant trends report um, released by Waitrose who talked about the fact that sales of things like fish heads, beef shin, ox cheek and lamb neck have mm. really soared. Um, and it's interesting because actually they're all the things that we talked about in terms of the gourmet nuggets. So some yeah. lamb neck nuggets would be delicious, I think. The only thing that, I, the, the only thing that annoys me now is that none of those things, save possibly the fish heads, are sort of reasonably priced anymore. No, that's and, true. And for example, lamb neck, which used to be one of my favourite yeah, cuts yeah, yeah. and was my favourite really thing to make curry with, yeah. is is ridiculously yeah. through the roof, yeah. as is beef shin, because yes. that's just been picked up by... I think so thanks to like, some ragu from Trullo, yeah, which, so I mean, um, yeah, I, and Padella I, got made it really famous. So the idea of kind of... I guess it's they'll go a bit further of, yeah. of um, you know... What's the word? The idea of reasonable, reasonably price cuts or lesser price cuts. But I think it's interesting that now, I mean, these are things that you used to only be able to really get in a specialist fishmonger or butcher. But the fact that this is now extended, the fact that places like Waitrose even stock these sorts of things, I think is quite interesting. Another couple of ones that I think are quite interesting, there's a restaurant in London called Fallow, which is doing a cod's head glazed with homemade sriracha Mm. butter, which just sounds delicious. Wow. uh, they also make a potato bread with their potato peelings um, and they are sort of making a yeah. salmon mousse with sort of the fish bellies that are often sort of discarded. The restaurant Native is running a uh, scrappy hour where they do sort of these zero waste cocktails and zero waste sort of snacking mm. using all the offcuts. Um, and actually somewhere that I've just come from this morning, which is Harrods, which uh, has this incredible chocolate section. They have this bread and butter chocolate bar which is made using the off cuts of their sourdough oh, wow! and it's just one of the most extraordinary things I've ever eaten um, so it's got this sort of toasted and deep fried waste sourdough crumb through this chocolate it's pretty special <laughs> from a texture perspective as well but as from a flavour perspective it's a lovely way of, of using it because it yeah. doesn't feel like food waste it feels like you're just using every absolutely. single part of absolutely because there's a lot of talk about you know the nose to tail yeah. or the, the root to fruit or whatever but but actually being able to use all of the different Completely. parts of the but I think we've seen it in sort of you know in beer brands and things yeah. like that but the fact that now places like Harrods are doing upcycling Adopting it, is yeah. really I think Love really it. quite interesting fantastic um, now something fun and a bit decadent yeah um, <laughs> Secret dining rooms and clubbing party dining. Is this because um, we're all getting too old for regular clubbing? I, think I, <laughs> I know I am. I'm like, I am pajamas yeah. by 9 yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of girl. So. <laughs> so, I mean, this is an interesting one. And it sort of comes from this whole sort of idea of um, coming out of <clears> lockdown <throat> and kind of into sort of eras of austerity. You always get this sort of roaring 20s effect, it's yeah. kind of called, where... Yes, it's sort of doom and gloom, but people go, but you know what? We're still going to have a good time, yeah, even yeah. if we do it in secret and underground. So <laughs> what's been really exciting is that there's yeah, there's been lots of quite exciting secret dining rooms, which was quite big a few years ago. Yeah. But a couple that I love, there's um, a really just great boozer pub in central London called The George, who has this sort of clandestine dining room up some stairs at the back, which is run by the, um, the chef James Nappett a really lovely candlelit space. Yeah. 
that's very different to the pub downstairs that has the football on generally. And it's just this sort of secret sort of <laughs> dining room with kind of gourmet pub food, which I loved. Um, the Corinthia Hotel has actually just opened a bar called the Velvet Room, which is behind a sort of secret velvet Ooh. curtain, which is sort of a, a fun sort of decadent yeah. sort of bar. There's a restaurant that a lot of people are going quite mad for called Bacchanalia. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen pictures of this. Look, it's looks, pretty mad. Yeah. I've not been there yet, but it's pretty mad. It's got these, from what I can see, it's got these sort of winged horse, Huge um, Damien Hurst sculptures yeah. and sort of toga-dressed waitresses and waitresses. I think it's a bit of a sort of phones-off situation. I don't quite know what goes on inside, but <laughs> it's supposed to also have some really good food. Yeah, um, I've read reviews of it yeah. where they've said the food's good. Pretty good. <laughs> One that I think is really interesting is um, the chef Mark Hicks, who, yeah. you know, sort of was famous for his sort of Hicks restaurant empire yeah. and um, the sort of the very famous um, tram shed. Um, he's actually going to be taking over the food at the legendary Groucho oh, Club wow. in Soho. So the Groucho Club has kind of been this centre of kind of London nightlife for years. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting that sort of for the revival of the Groucho Club, they've got Mark Hicks kind of coming Definitely, in. Definitely, yeah. Um, and then there's also, I suppose, sort of the rise of Ibiza as not only a clubbing destination, but as a dining destination. And what I found really interesting is that restaurants increasingly are not just talking about their food, but they're also talking about the DJs that are playing that night. So this sort of secret dining room, yeah. clubbing, dining thing, yes, it may be kind of doom and gloom, but actually if you're going to, it's that thing, if you're going to have a night out, yeah, have a make it a, have a proper one, <laughs> go clubbing and eating at the yeah, same time yeah. and actually do it at these sort of secret things where you feel like you're having a bit of a kind of hidden experience as well. I love it. I love the love sound that of that. Um, Cool. And lastly, um, we are in the depths of winter, but we're going to talk about fire cooking, which is no longer just for summer. We're not talking about cooking no, outside. No, no, but no. We're talking about cooking yeah. over fire. This is fire. I mean, this is fire cooking 3.0. Forget yeah. 2.0. It's sort of one of those things that just doesn't go away because people love it so yeah. much. And I think people now realize that the, the flavors that you get when you take food to that sort of Maillard re reaction kind of burntness yeah. is just amplifies the flavours of everything just so much. But what I think is really exciting is that sort of fire cooking is now taking on all this global inspiration. And there's a few restaurants and places that are really sort of doing this. So one is called Acme Fire Cult, which I had an incredible meal at with um, with Lulu from Olive Magazine. In oh, fact. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I love about this restaurant is um, it's in Dalston in East London. Um, but their menu is very veg-centric. Okay. So most of their dishes, so they had sort of incredible things that they're doing with kind of like aubergines that are taken to kind of almost sort of just burnt yeah. almost. But then incorporating that into all these exciting kind of dishes, really interesting marinades, using really interesting cuts of meat, but then sort of having this kind of global inspiration kind of behind it. Um, there's a restaurant called Firebird, which has opened, which has a sort of Greek, French, Middle Eastern take yeah, um, nice. on fire cooking. Um, there's Paralan in uh, Bury Yards, which is part of the Barafina group. Um, they have these sort of tabletop grills, which are called perillas, where you do your own I, fire cooking. All right. Get you to cook your own food. Get you to cook your own food. But you know, it's a really big thing in no, Spain. No, I do. I like that kind yeah. of, it's, it's really nice, that kind of interactive that thing. That interactive thing. To, yeah. Absolutely. Love and it. then, I mean, the other one is, I mean, Metopia Festival, which will be coming back again this year. What I loved about what they did last year is they had incredible people like the Rangoon sisters who celebrate their Burmese heritage. Yeah. Um, people like uh, a quasi Brenya Mensa who... Um, has the restaurant Tatale, which sort of celebrates sort of West African um, and, and kind of African influenced food. 
And they were sort of the headline acts at Motopia last year. Yeah, that was, year. it was the first year when I was a bit like, oh, God, I what wish. What a lineup. Because before that, I'd, I was a bit over the whole kind of big beardy tattooed well, men. Yes. Just like grilling whole I, big salami. It, it was yeah. all, it just, it was just getting a little bit too macho yeah. and a little bit too male for me. And then you've, so you've got all these amazing like women chefs and diverse chefs going Completely. in this year. And it was suddenly like, oh, great. Yeah. You know, we've got something a bit different. There is a there is a sort of gender equality in fire cooking yeah. reset, which I'm very, very here for. But you're absolutely right. I think for years it was sort of that kind of sort of Southern Texan mm. sort of bro barbecue thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sort of made way for people going, well, actually fire cooking is something that happens around the world. Yeah. And quite often it is actually the females that are yeah. doing it. And you've so, actually got great food writers like Genevieve Taylor yes, and Helen, Helen Graves. Absolutely you know, brilliant. Pit magazine. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you know, there's, thank God, women are yeah. getting in and shaking Women behind the fire. I mean, <laughs> yes. But look at, you know, it's, it's something yeah. that's not just happening in the yeah. summer months. It's a kind of a, you know, fire cooking 3.0. Yeah. Get the barbecue going. Get, get, get that it's barbecue cold. out. We really <laughs> need a barbecue let's, right let's now. Start a trend. <laughs> well, there's loads of great trends to look out for. They're good. And I think um, we're going to get this online by the time this comes out. So if people want to go and check it out in more detail, we'll put relevant links in there again. Thanks again for coming. And look out for Gerd's column each month in Olive Magazine. And you can follow him on Insta, which is at Gerd underscore loyal but thanks for coming again thanks so much come, happy 2023 again yeah yeah and please come back in march when the book is finally I out i really will do we'll be talking a lot about the book but finally the year yeah. the book comes out yay all right thanks a lot good thanks a lot thank you for listening to the olive podcast for recipes and more information head to olivemagazine.com do remember to listen out for effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking sheets packs and shortcuts and don't forget to subscribe on itunes Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.